This morning I'd like to read from verse 7 uh, forward. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Paul writes that Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word again, thank you for these words that have been written down for our benefit. And sometimes when we come to sections that are personal greetings like this, we wonder about the individuals, the people, what their lives were like. Were they going through struggles just like us? And what we find in the scripture is that they do, they were like us, and they understand our needs. And you have a word for us this morning as you speak to us. Help us to hear you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ministry is about people. When I think about the opportunities that I've had to both grow as a Christian and minister with others, what always comes to mind for me are the people that I've had opportunity to work with. I think back on days in college when I was growing in my relationship with Christ, kind of like what Alex shared this morning. Uh, You know, I think of those people who built into my life and encouraged me as a follower of Christ. Or the friendships that were made and friendships that continue to this day because of our commitment to Christ. Or when I think about opportunities I've had to serve in missions in different places around the world and to visit some of our missionaries, I come back always refreshed and I think of, of their commitment and how these individuals living in faraway places have made personal sacrifices to say goodbye to family and friends here and some of the comforts we enjoy in our world, to go and serve in other places that are difficult, challenging, uh, don't have the conveniences that we do, uh, and they are away from that kind of support even that we often have. And they minister in those kind of places enduring hardships. And I, I come back thinking that these truly are some of God's finest children that he is called to minister and to serve in other places, and I counted a privilege to be with him. But when I think about our church, too, and the friendships that we have made, I mean, I love our staff team, and I love all of you who come, and the privilege that it is to partner with you in ministry, to work together for the sake of Christ, and be on this journey in our spiritual life together. Ministry is about people. And I see that in Paul's example. 
And when we come to the end of his epistles, many times he has these personal greetings. Relationships were important to Paul. He cared about people. And so he would write, for example, in his letters, whether it's at the beginning or at the end, often in his introductions he would say things like this, that I thank God every time I remember you. Or I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Or I have you in my heart. He would recall the good times that they had had or the ministry together and their growth in Christ. And he would affirm them for what they were doing. And when he came to the end of the letter, he would remember names. And he would mention their name and give these personal greetings. And again, how would you have felt if you were on the receiving end of one of these letters and Paul mentions you and affirms your faithfulness and your love for Christ? I think that would just really build you up. You would feel encouraged uh, that Paul singled out the work that you had done. Ministry is about people. And this passage illustrates three things that we need to do ministry well. Number one, and I've already mentioned this, we need partners in ministry. We need people who will come alongside and share in the work and join together in bringing the good news to a lost world. And we need people who will do both upfront ministries and behind-the-scene ministries, however we are gifted. People who will work together to advance the gospel. I want you to think about this list of people that Paul affirms here. He begins with a man named Tychicus. And Tychicus is mentioned five times in Scripture. We find out from Scripture that he grew up in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. He probably was converted under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He was there when the riot took place. And there were those who wanted to try Paul or have him thrown into prison or worse. And he saw those things and he saw how Paul persevered in others and he saw the church grow and the gospel expand from Ephesus to the surrounding cities. And he joined in the work. He became a follower of Christ and he traveled with Paul in his journeys including uh, being one of the few who would carry an offering for the poor from Ephesus to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. He was a faithful brother. And you hear how Paul describes him here as a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. I mean, basically what Paul is saying is, I love this man. This is the kind of man that you can count on. This is the kind of man who when you give him a responsibility, he does it. And you can know that he's going to do it well. He's not only been a great help to me, but more than that, he has been a servant of Jesus Christ. And he is willing to jump in and to carry on the work. I love this guy. He mentions Onesimus, this man who had been a runaway slave, who actually came from Colossae. We're going to, at the end of our study in Colossians, go and look at this little letter that was written to Philemon because he's the slave owner. And he is in the church there and a respected member in the church and Onesimus has run away. But Onesimus went to Rome, came to know Christ under Paul's ministry and now is returning. And Paul has a word. How do you handle that? This is kind of a touchy situation. You know, there could be people on both sides who are 
taking issues here and saying on the one side, you know, we got to support Philemon, you know. I mean, what's this going to do? Uh, you know, if slaves think they can run away. But now he's become a brother. A brother in Christ. And I want you to welcome him in that way. He mentions Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner in Rome, who was there with Paul. He mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, this man who had once deserted Paul and now is restored and faithful. And he is the one who would write the gospel that bears his name. You have Jesus called Justice to avoid confusion with Jesus. Those that were named Jesus by birth now were often given these kind of second names. But we don't know anything about him other than he must have been a faithful brother that Paul calls attention to here. You have Luke, the doctor, traveling companion of Paul, who goes on his journey, who is the author of the third gospel as well as the book of Acts, and who saw firsthand many of these things and recorded the stories and what took place in Paul's life on his missionary journeys. And then you have a woman named Nympha, Another woman who, like Lydia, had opened up her home for a church to meet there. And I wonder how many others there were just like her. Hundreds, thousands of individuals all across the Mediterranean region who began to open their homes to house churches that were formed as the gospel went out. You know, what you see here is this kind of representative list of individuals with different gifts, different abilities. All are important. All are needed whether it's somebody who here God used to write the scriptures that we have, like the books of Mark and Luke and Acts, or it's someone who simply opened up their home and provided a space for people to meet. Bible study, like what we have. A small group that grows into a church. God used them all. And what we see is that ministry is a team effort. We can't do it alone and we were never intended to do ministry alone. Each one, again, has different gifts. And when we work together, the sum of what we do is greater than those individual parts. There's a synergy that comes. And we see the power of the Holy Spirit work in us and multiply our efforts. I mean, and we've seen that in our church here. You know, I think about the way that we are set up. Our staff that we have called to serve in this church work with ministry teams. They don't try to do ministry alone. We work with uh, those of you that are involved in those different areas of ministry, whether it's to our adults or youth or children or caring for the facility or involved in missions or worship. Our elders are involved in direct ministry and keeping touch and being involved in those different areas with ministry teams. And our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, each have a leadership team that coordinates things like teaching and prayer and fellowship and the caregiving. All of those ministries need volunteers, individuals who give of their time and energy and use their gifts to be a blessing to others. And that's how the church grows. We are partners in ministry. We are not consumers or spectators, but partners. And when we get that, when we understand that, that changes how we look at the church. Partners give of their time, their money, their gifts, their prayers because of their love for Christ and for one another. 
I mean, if we somehow come to a church and we think that we are consumers, then we're just looking for, you know, how is this going to benefit me? Or what can I take? What can I get? If we see ourselves as simply a spectator, then we're kind of coming to observe. And it's just, you know, we're sitting back and we're just watching things and what everybody else does. But what would the church be like if everybody had that kind of perspective and just saw themselves simply as a spectator or a consumer? And nobody would do anything and there wouldn't be a church. We are partners in ministry. And partners give back. Partners share in the work. And what we see in Scripture is that when we share in the work, we share in the reward. When we share in the work, we share in the reward. I make a reference here to Matthew 10, 40 to 42. I don't have the words up there, but let me read it for you. These words of Jesus that address this point. Jesus said to the disciples that he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Here Jesus is saying that in addition to those that he calls out as disciples or apostles or prophets, we need all of those individuals to support them and join with them, whether it's in prayer or giving or sharing even a cup of cold water. And what he's saying there is when you share in the work, you share in the reward. All of those things that are done because of our devotion for Christ behind the scenes are a part of that whole of what God is doing in His kingdom. And one day we'll see the blessings for those things that we have done. We need partners in ministry to do ministry well. We also need communication and encouragement. When I think about Paul's reason for writing here, he tells us very clearly why he did this in verse 8. In verse 8, he says that I am sending him to you, Tychicus, for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul sent him to Colossia for the purpose of communication. I want you to know what's going on in our lives right now. And he sent him with the purpose of encouragement. I want him to encourage your hearts about what God is doing in our situation, but also I want to hear what's going on in your world too. And I want you to think about Paul's circumstances. I mean, he is writing this while he is in prison. He has a Roman guard who is chained to him all the time. So Paul can't get away. Paul, uh, even at the end of this letter, will say, remember my chains. I mean, even as he's writing this letter or he's signing it, his chains are going across the paper as he writes. That's his situation. And so what he's basically saying here, too, about Tychicus is, you know, I can't put everything in this letter that I'd like to. There are others sitting with me who would also read that. And so he addresses the spiritual needs, and he says, when 
Tychicus comes, he'll tell you about my circumstances and what it's really like and what's going on here. I want you to know and I want you to be praying for me. But I also want you to be encouraged because I've heard what God's doing in your church and I've heard the struggles you're going through and here's what I believe God wants you to do and he writes and he encourages them as well. You know, when I read that and I think about Paul being in prison and not able to share everything freely, I think of those that we've sent out who work in other places in the world where it is harder to communicate. They are working in closed access countries. Yesterday I got an email from Diane even as I was going over the message. And she sent some things and some things that were encouraging to hear and also some of the trials in terms of where she lives. She's in a country where they just arbitrarily on a certain date all the heat is turned off in the buildings. Doesn't matter, you know. Comes to... You know, early April, there's no heat. There's snow outside. It's cold. It's cold in her apartment. It's 55 degrees. Now imagine living in 55 degrees inside all the time. There's no place to go to warm up, if you will. I mean, that that gets chilly. Now you may turn down your heat at night, you know, to 60 degrees or whatever, and it's kind of nice for sleeping and refreshing. But when you get up in the morning, you know, you're probably looking, you want that heat turned up. And here are individuals who labor like that and who are working for the sake of Christ. Let me tell you about a few others. Carrie, uh, who you're going to hear, you know, next Sunday she's going to share in our prayer and potluck time after the second service. What I share in this message too is going to just be brief. It's not going to give details because my messages, we put those on the web and anybody could hear them. And so we have to be careful. I mean, things like Skype and email are wonderful tools for keeping in touch, but in certain parts of the world you have to be very careful about what you say. And so I'm just going to talk about Carrie who works as a Bible translator among a people who do not have the scriptures in their own language. And I can't think of a more significant ministry, if you will, than to bring the word of God to those that have never had it before. And there's a a village that has come to know Christ and who have been praying for 25 years for the scripture in their own language. Praying that someone would come who would bring them the word of God. And she's going to share a story that will illustrate how great a value they place upon that scripture. Marvelous work. Carrie's in a tough situation in the area where she lives in terms of the climate and adversity and things like that. And she needs our prayers. She needs people who will stand with her in prayer and encourage her along the way. And she's going to be back here for about six months through the summer. I think of another uh, couple that we have supported and prayed for for many years, Paul and Kathy. They work in a country with a closed people group. They've actually had to learn two languages. They went out 25 years ago. They had to learn the language of the country they work in, and then they had to learn the language of the people group that are uh, the primary group that they are ministering to. Those first seven years very little fruit, if you will, because most of that time is spent learning language. And so here you are, and 
How do you maintain support? And how do you have people that understand that? That this is a lifelong calling. This isn't something you do quickly. This is a lifelong calling. And God has used them and brought them to the point now where in their country they are a bridge between ethnic groups. And God has used them and opened such a powerful door with so many people coming to know Christ in these last years that they've literally lost count. I mean, they are experiencing a harvest, but that fruit has come at the end of a long, long time of diligent study and work and building relationships. And it's a marvelous thing that's going on there. And we need to hear those stories and pray for them and what they are doing. And then I think about a place like Guatemala where it's wide open and we can talk freely about the ministry there. And you heard Mike Hirsch a few weeks ago when they came back and they shared about uh, this dedication of the church and uh, some of the governors and mayors that were there and local officials, how they paid for this service, this four-hour service to be broadcast to the whole country and on the web to people even here from Guatemala. And how Mike had the opportunity to share the gospel with who knows how many people through that means. And then the amazing things that have come as a result of that that Pastor Obispo has shared about has just been a tremendous open door for ministry. This past week, Americo and Kathy Saavedra, um, you know, who I work with, Americo uh, has been in uh, Guatemala with Obispo to look at the potential for setting up a pastor's training network there as well, right in uh, the village uh, where they work or a nearby area. And so Pastor Obispo invited 20 pastors and other leaders in the area and the churches to come. Americo has been ministering to them, and he texted back that they just had a wonderful time. In the evenings, he was speaking to people in the church on marriage and family, and it's just a tremendous, the open door. And they're looking for a suitable location to do a pastor's training network there with Obispo and that surrounding community and village. Pray. Pray for open doors for the gospel there and this good work to continue. See, here's my point. We need to hear the stories of what God is doing in other places around the world as well as here. Because when we hear those stories, it encourages us to pray, to give, and to share in the work. And so we need good communication. And out of that good communication comes encouragement. And we need to understand with some who work in missions, in our communication, we need to be very careful what we say and don't say and what words we use and don't use. And so kind of in a humorous way, you know, there are things that you may say in kind of a cryptic way that you understand, but those who are reading it or who screen emails, it might not trigger what they are looking for. But God is at work, and we are praising Him for what He is doing. It's why we also share here locally faith stories like Alex's, ministry updates, answers to prayer. We set out white and red roses to celebrate a new birth and a spiritual birth. Uh, Even our congregational meetings are intended to be times of praise as well as information. We communicate what God is doing and we want you to be encouraged and join in the work. 
Because when we share in the work, we share in the reward. And we want everyone to have a part in that. And thirdly, to do ministry well, we need prayer. We need those individuals who will stand with us in prayer. Uh, Three times in this letter, Paul has talked about prayer. At the beginning of the letter in Colossians 1, 9 to 14, Paul says, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in your knowledge of God. What a great prayer. I mean, here's here's what I am fervently praying for you. And then when you come to the end of the letter, in chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, Paul's saying, this is what I'd like you to pray for me. Would you pray for God to open doors for my ministry even while I'm here in chains? Would you pray that I would be fearless in the way that I present these things? Would you pray that I'd be clear? And truthfully, probably the greatest ministry that Paul had occurred while he was in prison because it's in those times that God slowed him down enough to write these letters that became part of the New Testament for our gain, our benefit. And Paul says, would you pray this for me? And then thirdly, he says, oh, by the way, I want you to know that Epaphras, who is your faithful brother, in fact, Epaphras is very likely the person who started the church in Colossae, and he is with him. I want you to know that Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now think about that. You ever seen a wrestling match? You know, you ever seen that when guys are out there on the mat and they're just going at it for, in our, our day, our study, you know, six minutes, all-out intensity. You know, I, I had to do wrestling in Fayette back when I was in high school, and that wiped me out. I was a basketball player instead. You know, and, and wrestling, man, that's up close, personal, and you are just in it, straining with every muscle that you have. And he is saying, that's what Epaphras is doing for you. He is fervent in prayer. He is straining. He is wrestling for you. This isn't casual prayer. This isn't kind of get an email and then, oh yeah, Lord, please work there and go on. These are the kind of individuals who take to heart these things and who day after day after day are standing with our brothers and sisters. They are praying for the church. They are praying for individual needs. It's fervent. It's powerful. It is effective prayer. Do you pray like that? It's a challenge to all of us to do that. And do you have others who pray for you who will stand with you in that way? I am very grateful for the work that's being done by our prayer teams. Rhonda Welsh and Carmen Zarad and Jane Thurnbeck and others have organized prayer teams for our staff, our pastors. And what a wonderful blessing that is to know that there are individuals that I can email who are praying for me and praying for our church. I think about what happens in our ABFs and our small groups. You know, when people hear needs, they support one another in prayer or our prayer chains. We need that because this is God's work, and the only way that it's going to be advanced 
is by the power of prayer. Alfred Lord Tennyson said that more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. I think sometimes it's not just more than the world dreams of, it's more than what we even as believers realize. The power of prayer and how that moves things in our world. James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we don't receive because we just haven't asked. And other times in James it says we don't receive because we've asked with wrong motives. It's just simply wanting to spend things on ourselves rather than advance the kingdom. But when we pray for the things that are on the heart of God, God delights to answer those prayers. And so Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. And those words are written in a way that it's not a one-time request, ask, and then it does this, but it's a continuing, present tense imperative that says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Will you do that? And Will you stand with us in prayer for our church and ministry? Ministry is about people. Helping one another to grow in our relationship with Christ. And ministry is a team effort. It takes partners in ministry. It takes good communication and encouragement. And it takes prayer. Powerful, persistent prayer. What will be your part as you join in the work? Let's pray. Father, help us to know what our assignment is from you, the place that you have called us to serve and to use our gifts, whatever age, whatever we may feel like our talent is, or whether we are new in Christ or have been a believer for many years. Help us, Lord, to join in the work of what you are doing and to give you all the praise and glory for what we see happening. You are a faithful God, and we thank you for that. In your name, amen.